Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Being Inspired radio show. I'm Amanda Johnson, your host, and we are continuing with me reading aloud from my new book, Becoming Enough, A Heroine's Journey to the Already Perfect Self. If you've been following along, I have read the introduction and preface and chapters one through seven, which have completed parts one and two. So today we begin our third and final part of the book, and I hope that you have been enjoying this as much as I have. I am also in the process of recording the official audiobook, so stay tuned to see that coming out hopefully in the next few months. But in the meantime, we are going to continue with these free offerings on the radio show, and I will be reading the first um, chapter in part three. Part three, The Treasure. So this, I believe, is the central question upon which all creative living hinges. Do you have the courage to bring forth the treasures that are hidden within you? Elizabeth Gilbert. Chapter eight, Facing the Ultimate Fear. Choosing this path with my authentic self leading the way feels foreign and uncharted. It asks that I continue to uncover deep-seated fears and beliefs without the comfort of my previous defenses. I have ventured through a brave new world and come out the other side in one piece. I have peeled back the layers and revealed that what is within is not as dark and scary as I once thought. I have removed disguises and come face to face with my fear of not already being perfect, knowing, connected, limitless. Yet, as I prepare to journey back home to my true self, barehanded, naked, and prepared to shine more brightly than before, I notice that some fear remains. The fear that I am all these things. As A Course in Miracles says, quote, The abilities you now possess are only shadows of your real strength. End quote. Here I've been running around most of my life scrambling for false ways to feel powerful, larger than life, unbreakable, and eternal. Yet what I'm actually doing is running away from the truth that I am all these things, because deep down, it's pretty damn scary to believe that. Our human minds like to make sense of things, to create structure and boundaries and expectations. To be who we truly are, would mean breaking through all these limitations. It would mean living from a place of complete trust, acceptance, and surrender. We could no longer put ourselves in a nice neat box, or put anyone else in a nice neat box. We could no longer use the walls we have built up around ourselves as protection, or limit ourselves to a certain identity, belief system, and ultimately, this physical existence. This is a terrifying thought. This means I no longer get to make excuses, feel unworthy, dim my light, or pretend to be somebody I'm not. This means I must step into my rightful place as an extension of the divine and reclaim my power. It's a lot to process. On my way home to my true self, I receive this revelation. You are still attached to this concept of not enough, which you use as protection against the fact that you are powerful beyond belief. This keeps you from having to honor the truth and live into the greatness that you already are. It keeps you feeling safe. 
I now see more clearly how I have clung to this idea of not being enough like a safety blanket, as an excuse for nearly everything in my life. Now that I know I am already enough, perfectly whole and complete, what am I still afraid of? I get curious about this inner conflict. What is still keeping me from shining my light and holding me back? After some exploration, I dig and uncover a belief buried deep inside that having power and love are mutually exclusive. If I stand in my power and shine my light for all to see, I will separate myself from those I love most and be punished, shunned, and all alone. This is a mighty unconscious belief that would keep anyone from fully embracing her power. Remember, I have spent nearly my entire life protecting myself from feeling unloved and disconnected. And as illogical as it may seem, here's this fear that standing in my power will elicit just that. Eckhart Tolle offers some insight on this in his book, The Power of Now. He says we have both personal and collective pain bodies where much of our fear comes from. Quote, the personal aspect is the accumulated residue of emotional pain suffered in one's own past. The collective one is the pain accumulated in the collective human psyche over thousands of years through disease, torture, war, murder, cruelty, madness, and so on. Everyone's personal pain body also partakes of this collective pain body. End quote. As a woman, I carry with me the female pain body that has been passed forward from the beginning of time. I can see how there's a lot of fear around being in my power if I carry the pain body of the many women who died for doing so. Think of the witch being burned at the stake for speaking her truth, or the queen being punished by death for having lovers. Fear of standing in my true power goes deeper than me not wanting to upset others or be judged. According to my ego's pain body, I could die for doing so. This pain body took root over the course of my life, growing into weeds of fear and shame. I feared outshining others even though I found myself excelling at things. On the one hand, I enjoyed the attention I received when I let my light shine brightly. I danced, I performed, I took advanced placement classes. On the other hand, I learned how this separated me from others. I recall being made fun of and shunned for being gifted. I was the kid in seventh grade who was taking advanced algebra with a bunch of eighth graders who were already ahead of other kids their age. For this, I was singled out and made fun of. This is how I internalized it. My brilliance was a threat to others and ultimately resulted in me feeling hurt and left out. I have carried this shame with me as a deep wound of not wanting to stand out too much. My personal pain body believed that those who are smart, talented, and good at things get teased for sticking out. For one reason or another, many of us have covered up our true essence, so even at a young age, when we see others shine, we feel uncomfortable. We judge it and think it's obnoxious. We have accumulated so many disguises to make sure we never stand out or be the bright light we are here to be, so how dare anyone else? I think this is why I was drawn to the theater. It was an acceptable place to shine my light, a safe place to share my brilliance. It allowed me to show off and receive praise and accolades as opposed to persecution and snide comments. 
For many years, I thought I chose theater as a way to hide my true self and validate my ego, as if I was afraid and needed to wear a costume to be loved. Now I see how in many ways I was validating my true self by receiving confirmation of the light within. Of course, I didn't realize this at the time. I simply got a high from the applause, which had me go back for more. I hadn't yet recognized that it wasn't just a performance, an act, a disguise. It was my true essence shining through that had everyone on their feet. During an ayahuasca ceremony, most participants are not on their feet. Walking around while under the influence of the plant can be very difficult. After using the bathroom during my first ceremony, I found myself crawling back to the circle since that was how others made their way back. In that moment, I heard this voice say, You are capable of walking. But I refused. I didn't want to stand out or seem like I was showing off. So I continued to crawl. But the plant wouldn't let me get away with that. She said, There is no such thing as showing off, which is a judgment. It's simply you sharing your gifts with the world. Grandmother Medicine invited me to stand in my power without fear of what others might think, which, in some ways, is a very egocentric, self-inflated belief. Look at how powerful I am! What I did caused you to think or feel a certain way. She had me turn around, go back to where I came from, stand up, and then walk back to the circle. It was exhilarating. For one of the first times in my life, I felt I no longer had to hide or pretend to be someone else to be okay. And the best part is that no one probably even noticed. This is such an important reminder for me when I get a little too carried away with what others might think. Chances are, they aren't even paying attention. They're busy focusing on their own journey. This is what it means to become enough. Becoming that which you already are, which is far more powerful than you might ever imagine. When you are enough, there is no need to hide or pretend. Yet here is the sneaky part of this whole thing. I was dimming my brilliance because I feared that if I didn't, I would be seen as a threat and it would cause hurt or pain. I would be all alone and unloved by others. But then I would cast blame on those around me for why I wasn't shining brightly. Well, if only he was, or they would, then I could step into my light and my power. I thought if I didn't have to busy myself with their lack of motivation, their fears, then I could soar. I would even consider ending relationships or distancing myself from my family so that I wouldn't get sucked in and could finally be the shiny, bright, magnificent being I am. While visiting Michael's family in Texas one bright winter day, the bullshit flag was thrown. I was called out on how this is a big fat excuse and a total lack of self-responsibility. It is no one's responsibility other than my own to be more of my authentic self. It is not anyone else's fault for why I show up the way I do or choose not to. Sure, we hear the importance of who we surround ourselves with, and it is still up to me to find that, create that, or shine despite it. Think about being a lighthouse. A lighthouse doesn't turn off its light and then blame that on the fact that there aren't other lighthouses nearby shining brightly. That doesn't make any sense. The whole reason a lighthouse exists is because it's the only source of light in a given area to guide others. 
Equally, turning off your light so as not to distract, taunt, or threaten others will only increase the chances that they crash into the rocks or get lost at sea. We are all lighthouses shining light on the collective sea of unconsciousness, and the more lights we turn on, the better we all can see. Shining your light for others to see doesn't imply you are better than them, no more or are more talented. Shining your light is a confirmation of what each of us is capable of and already possess. It's your duty as a divine being interconnected with all things. The flower doesn't keep herself from blossoming in all her glory out of fear of what the other flowers might think. The lion doesn't tame his fierceness because he's worried about how other animals in the kingdom will perceive him. The peacock doesn't hide his vibrant plumage just because he's the only one who displays it. When you live your life shrouded in the veil of not being enough, you think this is why you are hiding. Who am I to shine? What you ultimately discover is that is exactly what you are hiding. The brilliance of who you are, first from yourself and then from others. As I journey back to the very thing I have been hiding for most of my life, the anticipation of danger is replaced with absolution. I no longer desire to feel guilty for standing in my power. I no longer want to feel punished or cast out. I practice self-forgiveness for covering up my light, for abandoning my true self for all these years. This journey to becoming enough is not some out-and-back hike. It's much more akin to climbing a mountain with multiple switchbacks. Sometimes it feels like you're going backward, but when you zoom out and look at the entire picture, you're still making progress and making your way up the mountain. This quote from the Tao Te Ching sums it up well. Quote, The enlightened path appears dark, and advancing on this path may seem like retreating, for the path that looks smooth is often rugged. End quote. Equally, I'm discovering the enlightened path leads to the revelation that you are not the hiker, but rather the entire mountain. Many of us start our journey with the idea that it's an opportunity to be free of all suffering, pain, and judgment, to become enlightened. We don't like messy. We don't like discomfort. So we go out in search of how to avoid it at all costs without first embracing it. The Buddha teaches that we transcend suffering when we attain nirvana. While attaining the cessation of pain is part of the journey, we can't avoid the first noble truth, dukkha, incapable of satisfying. We live in a world of impermanence. Everything comes and goes. We seek happiness in things that won't last. Therefore, we remain unsatisfied. So long as you cling to things or seek happiness outside yourself, you will experience dukkha and pain. This journey is not about cleaning up the mess or making things more comfortable. As Eckhart Tolle says so succinctly in A New Earth, quote, you need to say yes to suffering before you can transcend it, end quote. The way I interpret the Buddha's teaching is it's not that pain and suffering magically disappear. It is by shifting our perspective and experience of pain and suffering that we transcend dukkha and attain nirvana. 
And this miracle can only occur in this moment. The further I journey up the mountain, switchbacks and all, the clearer it becomes that the purpose of this particular adventure is for something far greater than my own enlightenment. It is to connect more with my inherently courageous self, messy as it may be, so that I can connect more with those around me. It is to trust my inner knowing, as uncertain as it may seem, so that I can extend that trust to others. It is to stand in my power, as scary as it may feel, so that I can empower others to stand in theirs. Allowing another person, whether she is your spouse, partner, child, parent, or friend, to stand in her own power and make decisions for herself means releasing a need to control. False power is controlling. True power is allowing. Standing in my power means allowing others the same dignity. I can allow them to have their way and still unapologetically stand in mine. There is no manipulation, control, or conversion required. There is tremendous power in witnessing someone for who they truly are, which is not the disguises we so often see at face value. As A Course in Miracles says, quote, If you perceive truly, you are canceling out misperceptions in yourself and in others simultaneously. Because you see them as they are, you offer them your acceptance of their truth so they can accept it for themselves. This is the healing that the miracle induces. End quote. It is one thing to do this with people who are doing things right and quite another to extend to those doing it wrong. This is where judgment once again complicates things. Just because I don't agree with what you do, say, or how you live your life, doesn't give me license to control it. As I now stand in my power, I trust that others are exactly where they need to be just as I am, not better or worse. I'm letting go of my need to fix them from a newly formed spiritual greater-than-thou perspective and instead empower them to awaken in their own way on their own time. When I first met Michael, there was still a part of me that wanted to control his experience. I figured if I did things the right way, I could help him see the light, keep him from experiencing the pain and suffering that accompanies depression and substance abuse. Three years later, I begin to see it differently. He, just like me or you or anyone else, is not in need of being fixed. He's in need of being perceived truly for who he is. He doesn't need me telling him to stop drinking. He needs me to empower him to courageously stand in his power and to fearlessly accept the consequences of his actions. He doesn't need me to force him into treatment. He needs me to let go of any attachment I have so that he is free to make the choice that is best for him. He doesn't need me controlling his experience. He needs me to trust that the dis-ease he experiences is exactly what it is meant to be and the path he is on is leading him exactly where it is meant to lead him. This is what it means to fearlessly stand in my power and empower others to stand in theirs. While I cannot know what is best for Michael's evolution, or anyone else's for that matter, I do know this. He is one of my greatest teachers. Each moment, I get to choose to approach him with fear or love, and either judge him for the disguise he wears 
or see him for who he truly is. A Course in Miracles teaches, quote, when you love someone, you have perceived him as he is, and this makes it possible for you to know him, end quote. Each day I practice being true to myself and trust that Michael is capable of being true to himself in whatever way that happens to look. This certainly isn't always easy, but it's the assignment I signed up for. There is a reason he is on this journey with me. Another revelation offered me by Ayahuasca is how I have blamed Michael and his relationship with alcohol for much of my grief. In that revelatory moment while lying beneath the Peruvian night stars, I was offered an opportunity to feel what it's like to take full responsibility for choosing Michael and co-creating our relationship. It felt so freeing to see how I have created it for my own experience and growth and how I contribute to it. I also felt so much love and compassion for him in that moment. Now, co-creation and participation do not equate blame. There is an important distinction here. For much of my life, my desire and ability to offload responsibility at any opportunity has been pretty easy. I'm the baby of the family, after all. I didn't want to make the wrong choice or think it was up to me. But as a co-creator of my reality, taking responsibility is part of the job description. However, taking responsibility isn't the same thing as being to blame. The energy is completely different. I'm not responsible for your situation or experience of life. You are. Equally, you're not responsible for mine. I am. It's exhausting when we think we are responsible for others in this way, constantly tiptoeing around trying to control their experience. And we are resentful when we think they are responsible for ours, believing we are where we are because of them. This doesn't imply that we don't affect others or have an impact on them. Of course we do. That's what it means to be interconnected. Yet being responsible for how we choose to experience or react to something is up to each of us, independently of the other. This is where true power lies. Being in your power means allowing yourself to have your experience and others to have theirs. It doesn't mean you control it. As I begin to take full responsibility and let go of my victim mindset, which the ego just loves, I lighten my load and begin to experience my true power. I acknowledge that I'm responsible for how I feel, react, what I choose to do or not do, and for all the incredible love, peace, and ease, as well as the pain, suffering, and strife I co-create in my life. Wading into the pool of radical self-responsibility is only uncomfortable for the first few moments. You might start to clench up and freeze because you're afraid of how cold it's going to be. But when you decide to take the plunge and dive on in, it only takes a few seconds to acclimate, and pretty soon it feels better to be in the water than out of it. By diving in and embracing your power, it doesn't matter what others think, say, or do, because it ultimately doesn't change who you are. While learning to trust in the power of who I am, I still observe myself apologizing as opposed to standing in my true essence because of how uncomfortable it feels to do so. It's one thing to know it exists, and another to stand in it firmly. During the first few months working on this book, someone asked me how many words I write a day. Rather than owning my process unapologetically, I launched into justification mode. 
I did it again while talking with a dear friend when she asked me about my seemingly non-traditional financial and job situation. She lovingly called me out and reminded me that I have no need to defend myself. She wasn't judging me. I was projecting judgment of myself onto her, which then had me doubt my truth and dim my light. This had me question if I have a belief that standing in my power has to look a certain way, like some sort of superhero, as opposed to it looking like being more of who I am at all times, confidently and unapologetically. There is power in observing this pattern of mine, and freedom in no longer feeding into it. As the spiritual teachings of the Tao Te Ching offer, quote, Those who conquer others have power, but those who conquer themselves are powerful. End quote. As I excavate these deep beliefs one by one, I start to notice how, in the past, I equated my power with being able to control others, either by controlling their experience or controlling their impressions. What I'm starting to experience now is that being powerful doesn't mean having power over another. It means overcoming my false self by transforming one belief at a time. Doing so is what has led me to unearth the many treasures along this journey, each treasure revealing another, much like my set of Russian nesting dolls. Every time I transform one belief, uncovering a new gem of wisdom, there's another one awaiting me underneath. I've transformed my belief about what it means to be powerful. It is powerful to feel emotions fully, deal with things head-on, face the truth, accept the consequences, stand up for what I believe in, be wholly present, and be who I am unapologetically. Being vulnerable is where true power lies, taking radical self-responsibility, being willing to be with what is. As this leg of my journey nears an end, I complete this stage of my transformation, with my faithful observer at my side, noticing all of it non-judgmentally. I am no longer attached to the idea that it's necessary to fix or rid or acquire. I am ready to stand in my power and be in relationship with my innate perfection, deep knowing, and connection with all things. However, this transformation requires practice and integration, from judgment to pure awareness, from fear to love. While this adventure has taken me from here to there and back again, I see how it's only one stage of my overall metamorphosis. After spending time in her chrysalis, the butterfly has to emerge and learn to flap her wings and fly. By doing so, I empower you to do the same to shine your light in whatever way you want to shine it, knowing that you, just like me, have everything within you. You are already enough. And that concludes Chapter 8 from Becoming Enough. I hope you are enjoying this powerful message of truth that who we already are is perfectly whole and complete, and there's nothing that we need to do to prove otherwise or to be otherwise. And it is by removing these layers piece by piece by piece that we discover this truth and then get to live it out in the world. And what's really fascinating about this journey is that it feels like we really do come full circle. Much of what I experience in my life now looks similar to how I used to be 
but the intention, the knowing within is entirely different. And that's where the transformation occurs. I invite you to come back next week to listen to chapter nine. And then the week following will be our final chapter of this book. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show so that you are notified of when the new episodes come out. They're every Tuesday. And if you are enjoying what you're listening to and you feel it's important to read it, or perhaps you want to share this book and message with a friend, you can buy the book on Amazon by searching Becoming Enough, and you can order it in paperback or Kindle version. And if you live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, you can get it at your local Zambro's variety store. Thank you so much for tuning in, for joining me today and for sharing in such an important message. Continue to be the light in your own lives, and until next time, many blessings.